So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody to this Thursday edition of Everyday Connection. I am still Rico Shields. And right here with me, I have Jane Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jane? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. I can't seem to break that habit, even though you kind of came out on the birthday show. <laughs> Hi, my name is... Just, you could have knocked me with a feather. I was like, what? Hey, well, you know, I mean... What'd you say? Yeah. I figure, figure most of my readers know by now, anyways. Um, yeah. But I'm still writing using Gene Victoria Norlock, so why not do the show oh. under Gene Victoria Norlock? I think everybody knew who I think everybody knew who do, Dear Abby was for like decades before she quit writing, which was like a week before she passed away. I think. Really, I didn't know Dear Abby wrote that long. Oh, yeah, long time. Wow. I was a kid, I think. I don't know. Kind of crazy. But, We're uh, going to have our own Dear Abby soon. Soon. We will have, uh, that would probably be a good thing, good time to mention that we have new shows joining the family here, Everyday Connection Radio. Indeed. Um, we have our very own spiritual Dear Abby coming uh, on Wednesday nights soon. We don't have a firm date, but real soon. Mm-hmm. Did you write that intro piece for her? I did. Oh, good. See, there's one more for us to, one more thing for us to knock off the list as to why we can't start yet. But um, very soon, Mama Webb will be uh, oh yeah, with us soon. on Wednesday nights for Sacred Weavings. Sacred Weavings with Mama Webb. She her website is up now. It's sacredweavings dot com. Is it not? I think I, it is indeed. And you can actually go there. And the first thing that you'll notice on the website is there's an available form for people to fill out. And you can actually, if you don't want to come on the show, um, if you're a little shy about being on the air, you can actually leave her questions on her website, and she will answer them on the show. Absolutely, because of course you know we have. A lot of people that listen to our show on a podcast through iTunes or or through our website. Uh, and uh, so if you, if you just can't make it at the time, we'd love for to have you come on. I know she'd love to talk to you. She doesn't bite much. Mm-hmm. and um, uh, But if you can't, you can just drop your question right in there. Uh, we'll answer it on air. You'll, you'll hear it uh, the next morning on the podcast when it, when it comes out. Because you can do that. Yeah. If you're subscribed to Everyday Connection Radio on your on your iPod or through iTunes, you'll you're going to get the new shows and are we the old shows? Are we the old <laughs> kids on the block now? Well, yeah. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> uh, 
But um, and then Monday nights, I'm not going to have to grow up because I'm going to be playing with our dear friend uh, Carl Sheldon. Uh, he's going to let me be his co-host for at least the beginning until I act up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, but we're going to have infinite possibilities with Carl Sheldon, uh, engineer, inventor, uh, all around great guy, uh, and does not much get on and. If he says it's one of his projects, he doesn't really talk about it unless he's got it in his lab working where you can come, put your hands on it, and look at it and inspect it and make sure there's no hidden wires, nothing up his sleeve. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that in an engineer. There's lots. It's easy to talk about what you could do. But absolutely, absolutely. But one of the one of the things that Carl is good at is talking about um, what you could do. So he's going to invite people um, to come on the show. Um, young and old alike, if you guys have ideas, concepts, um, things that you've invented yourselves and you want to know if it would work and you'd like a little bit of expert advice, guidance, or just, you know, a little confirmation that you're on the right track, then it's a good time to call in and uh, you can actually work together with Carl on the air and not just educate yourself, but educate all our listeners while you're chatting. Um, about your innovative ideas. So that's an exciting show concept as well. Absolutely. Have we passed the patience test, do you think? I think we might have passed the patience test. Might have done well. I uh, I see Janet's here, claiming that she invented silliness again. (laughs) May not have invented it, but she she could have perfected it. Um, Might have, indeed. But that's that inner child thing, you see. That inner child thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear all about them here in a little bit on a break. Absolutely. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us tonight a longtime researcher into, uh, well, the convergence, maybe, of uh, technology and uh, physics, spirituality, parapsychology, uh, almost three decades of research on the subject, and is going to uh, share some of that with us tonight. Mr. Thomas Fusco. Tom, how are you? Uh, very good, Rick. Thank you. Awesome. Glad to have you with us, Tom. I'm really excited about the opportunity to talk about uh, paranormal phenomenon. But before we get to that, I have one quick question for you, and then we'll uh, go from there. Who the hell are you, and what do you do? Who am I, and what do I do? Yeah, yeah, sir. <laughs> oh, uh, my name is Thomas Fusco. I'm... Uh, an independent researcher that has spent nearly three decades uh, looking for the unifying cosmological framework that would accommodate all observable phenomena, Uh, not only uh, scientific mysteries, but also things like the supernatural, parapsychology, and the paranormal. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. A big unified field theory. They talk about it in science. I think they just mean the physical bits, but I agree with you. It has to include all of those phenomena if it's really going to be a unified theory. That's correct. Or a theory of everything. Um, and, of course, in order to work out that kind of a theory... Uh, the first thing that you need to do is have a conceptual model. 
from that picture, that concept, uh, you can begin to uh, develop uh, the more detailed parts of it, the math of it, so that uh, uh, it can show pretty much how the universe is put together. But the concept is the thing that comes first. Absolutely, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one to make, and uh, uh, but like I said, there does sort of seem to be a convergence of science and spirituality to some extent. Uh, certainly, uh, quantum physics, and and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the on the Higgs here in a little while, uh, but. Uh, um, it certainly is the case. Uh, I, not all the quantum physicists will answer the direct question, but it, it's pretty much the case that quantum physics says if you don't look at it, it doesn't exist. It stays in potential probability. Mm-hmm. And um, that just almost sounds spiritual. certainly sounds like some of the ancient spiritual teachings about ether as opposed to a Higgs field. Well, certainly, um, traditionally, when it comes to looking at uh, these uh, spiritual aspects of existence, uh, religion, um, parapsychology, uh, supernatural, paranormal, all of those um, forbidden fields, quote-unquote, there's been a lot of effort to... um, point out similarities uh, between those things and some of the behavior that's uh, observed on the quantum physical level. And there's a lot that has, that has been said about that and, and talked about. Um, one of the issues that I had with that uh, field of uh, discussion is that ultimately what it comes down to is uh, using reasons, reasoning like, looks like, sounds like, reminds me of, but never actually nailing it down to saying what is. And so for me, I wanted to overcome that particular problem as well. And I found that a lot has to do with perspective. Uh, where you stand and what you're looking out at, what the world looks like from where, you know, a person stands from a particular viewpoint. And kind of the way that I talk about it is that I I, I say, think about having discovered uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza and uh, further stipulate that there is no other pyramid in the world. So we have nothing to compare it to visually. And then further stipulate that we find it in pieces, that all the blocks are scattered and disassembled all over the plains of Giza. And so our job is to try to figure out what it looked like and how to put it back together. Now, I think that the pyramid, uh, Great Pyramid of Giza is supposed to contain uh, two, about two billion stones. And no matter what stone you stand on, let's say, for example, uh, every stone and its position represents a different perspective. 
So every stone that you're going to stand on and look out on the planes at the rest of the pieces, they're all going to look different. Uh, and there'll be a different arrangement. There'll be different patterns that might be recognized based on where you're perceiving it from, where you're observing it. Um, and for virtually all those stones, it would be almost impossible to figure out what the uh, structure, original structure looked like and begin to figure out how to put it all together again, except for one stone out of those two million. And that one stone would be the capstone. You find the capstone, and you see how it's shaped, and you begin to look at all the pieces from that perspective, and then suddenly everything begins to fall into place. And so the capstone is what I sought for 30 years. It's a beautiful analogy, beautiful metaphor. And for me, what ultimately it boiled down to um, is to be able to define uh, the universe in a simple statement. And Albert Einstein was one who um, proposed the idea of simplicity. And he said that a good physical theory, and in fact the final theory, in its concept should be so simple uh, the, and, a, and, a, and have a beauty to it that a school child should be able to grasp it and understand it. And so the definition of the universe that I arrived at is that the universe, the physical universe, is an expression of materialized and materializing information. And to me, that's the capstone. And when you begin to start looking at, at all different aspects of reality in terms of materialized and materializing information, suddenly we have a matrix, a network with a common uh, perception, with a, with a very simple uh, uh, way of looking at things that begins to, to tie everything together. Um, now, some people might ask, well, Tom, what do you mean by information? Um, we look at that in terms of the modern computer age where data on a computer's hard drive, for example, or in a program uh, comprises information. Uh, and so in recent decades, science has actually uh, very much embraced this idea that everything comprises or is assembled from information. For example, uh, if you go into science fiction and you think about the, you know, uh, Star Trek and how they teleport people from one place to the next, the idea behind it is to actually break down the constituents of a human body into its information database. Uh, because what they're they're not really able to teleport actual matter and mass. You can't teleport a atoms, so to speak, or even an electron in that manner. Um, but you could transmit the information, and then from that information, 
the human being could be reassembled from scratch, you know, at the uh, at the destination point. So that's a good way of looking at information. Uh, now, what my model uh, refers to as far as the location of information is that it originates from and is contained within a realm that's outside of space-time, that it is a superphysical overlay, superphysical meaning above the physical, uh, or a, a superphysical dimension, if you'd like, although dimension is not quite exactly the right word for it. Uh, this idea of a body of information existing above space-time uh, has existed for a long time. Uh, it, uh, the first uh, attempt to scientifically employ that kind of a concept uh, dates back to Plato. Uh, there's a reference to that kind of an idea in the Bible. Uh, in the New Testament, first paragraph of the Gospel of John, the original Greek uses the word logos, and that means <clears throat> there's no English equivalent for it. Uh, the English translation has traditionally been word as a translation for that, but the original Greek means uh, order, structure, thought, pattern, law, matrix, uh, it has that kind of a concept for which we have no direct translation to it. Um, in modern times, uh, David Bohm, one of the most uh, prominent physicists of the 20th century, uh, he believed in such a body of information, and he called it implicate order. And he said this order existed outside of space-time, but dictated and determined the nature of space-time. And so he said that implicate order gave rise to the physical universe of explicate order. And uh, uh, if you're familiar with Edgar Cayce, uh, he called it the Akasha. So there's been all kinds of different names for this. Uh, my particular name for it is super geometry. I came up with that term because geometry is something that not only gives us a little bit more of something tangible to kind of wrap our heads around, but also conveys the idea that the information actually leads to geometric forms, to the formation of the physical universe. And super, of course, being a standard uh, uh, terminology in science uh, to define a superset of something else. And so in modern physics, with information, we've had an, we've uh, actually made an extension to the old conservation laws where we were taught in school matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Uh, modern physics accepts an extension to that law that says information from which matter and energy is assembled can neither be created nor destroyed. So this part of my theory isn't unique. What's, what's unique about it is for the first time to explain a scientifically viable mechanism by which this information actually materializes into physical reality. 
Right. I think uh, you, you, you're right. There's a lot of names that have been used for it, blueprint level. and um, Wasn't it Plato that it was kind of the idea that there was an I- ideal, a, a perfection of an idea, say, grape. And all the grapes that you might find on Earth were trying to reach that ideal but never quite could reach it because that's the super... The, the the blueprint from which they're all sort of inspired or derived mm-hmm. or given rise to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sigmund Freud called it psychoid entities. The exact same kind of a, uh, uh, you know, concept. It's been called many names. Uh, and you're right, the idea itself is not new. Um, but how this would actually... Um, come about into physical reality. Uh, this is where my work has gone into new territory because it explains a mechanism by which that could occur. And in doing so, resolves a lot of current uh, mysteries uh, that we face, not only in classical physics itself, but in other types of observations that we humans encounter. So can you expand on that a little bit more? Like as far yeah. as your own personal theory around how that information manifests into physicality? Yeah. Um, let's take a look at uh, one of the uh, the biggest mysteries that is facing science and physics today, and even astrophysics. And we've wrestled with it for some time and have never really come up with a good answer for it. From where does universal order come from? In other words, when uh, Einstein was the first one to finally discover what the substance of the universe was, actually the building blocks of reality and the substance of reality and, and what it's made of, Um, And, of course, for him, uh, he envisioned the continuous spatial field uh, that is defined by four independent variables of height, width, depth, and time, and that everything ultimately was built from this particular field. But what has always been missing is how this field takes the forms and the shapes that it does. Um, give you an example. Uh, imagine a uh, a box. Let's say we have a sealed lucite box that we can see through, and it's filled with air, just very common air, that comprises of many different types of gases: oxygen, nitrogen, helium. There's argon in it. Um, all different types of gases in it. Now, in a gaseous state, matter is very active. Uh, it's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, placid like a block of ice. And so the atoms and molecules in, in the air are in this constant agitated motion. And they're constantly colliding with one another, making the air a very well-mixed, homogenous uh, substance. Uh, now, this is what's called a disorganized state in physics. And the reason why we call it a disorganized state 
is that there is no order or structure within that box that's filled with the gases of air because the atoms and molecules are so agitated and they collide with each other constantly that any type of a structure that might begin to form in it is immediately destroyed. Now, this is also considered, and here's where the mystery comes in, this is also considered to be the most probable state of matter. It is the state which is most natural to occur, and it is the state that is most likely to be sustained indefinitely, is this state of uh, mixture, of disorder, of chaos, if you will. Now, imagine if for some mysterious reason, and we can see inside the box, so we can tell whether there's any kind of a mechanism going on. Imagine if for some mysterious reason, all of the oxygen atoms begin to extract themselves from the rest of the atmosphere and collects in one corner of the box. Now we have order, we have structure. We have order because we have a structure of a pocket of oxygen and a, a separator, a delineator, a barrier between that realm, that realm within the box and the realm outside of it. We now have order and structure. This is the most improbable state of matter because you could see when you think about the experiment, it would be like magic. How could that possibly happen with no mechanism uh, within the vicinity of the box to, uh, as a causal factor? This is exactly what the early universe did. This is one of the greatest mysteries that faces physics still is that for some mysterious reason, the cosmic cloud, the primordial soup that was the result of the Big Bang, for some unknown reason, everywhere in the early universe, it suddenly began to separate and coagulate into structures. And we, to this day, have absolutely no idea why or how it could happen. Uh, even today... When we speak about quantum physics, and they speak about in the quantum physical world, everything is probability. Nothing is predictable for certain. Um, but the problem with quantum physics in that, in that aspect of it, and why it has not become the guiding principle by which we can define the universe, is that for some reason or another in spite of all of these random chances and these probabilities, and you don't know what the actual state of a particle is until you disturb it by observing it, and all these very philosophical kinds of uh, uh, paradoxes, really, they all wind up bubbling up into a completely structured, completely sustainable, and completely repeatable universe where we can measure things precisely, where we can make precise predictions about a physical process and that we know it's going to come to pass. We know that the exact microsecond at a given location on Earth, precisely when the sun is going to rise tomorrow, we know exactly when it's going to be. 
And no matter, and you take all of these quantum states, which just in a single penny, you've got millions of quantum states, all trying to grind out different possibilities and probabilities. And then imagine how many quantum states are in our solar system. And every microsecond of every day from the beginning of the solar system, the behavior of the objects that are in it are absolutely 100% predictable. And so this is the elephant in the room. This is what you don't hear talked about because physics has no answer for it. Because physics, quantum physics particularly with this, no, no state can be... You can't perfectly describe where something is until you observe it, which disturbs it, so you can't really see what was going on before you looked. Is sort of like, well, okay, maybe that would explain a universe full of random stuff that popped in and out of existence. But, but like your point, it, it's not like that. It pops in and it's, but then it's, you know, or did something at the beginning because. Physics never gets back to the moment of the Big Bang. They can get close, but they they can't say why did it bang, and they can't say why did the big mass of gas suddenly want to be planets and stars and gravity and things that go around in predictable patterns. Mm-hmm. Why would it be that every time you strike a match, it lights? That chemical reaction happens the same, you know? Absolutely. And this is one of the problems why we know that we have a faulty physical model. Uh, that we have to, for number one, we have to use two different systems to describe the universe. We have to use quantum mechanics and we have to use Einstein's relativity. And we can't use a single system. Uh, and one does not describe the behavior of the other. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was funny. Uh, when I was reading, uh, uh, you know, on uh, Stephen Hawking's uh, recent work, uh, and he said he had a television special, and he said that, you know, uh, there's no need for a creator or a god because the laws of gravity explain everything. That just about fell off my chair. Um, because, number one, we don't even know what the laws of gravity are. <laughs> we know the laws of gravitational effect, but we don't know what the laws of gravity are. And number two, what exposes the fallacy of that statement, <laughs> excuse me, is that paradigm that I mentioned earlier. Where does the information come from around which material uh, forms and and gets constructed, you know. Where where what is the source of information that materializes into order and structure? The laws of gravity, whatever they are, doesn't tell us that. It only tells us about part of the environment in which that information materializes. Um, but he did bring up a very valid point in a way, kind of like in a uh, a subliminal way in that I came to realize that gravity is the key to understanding the universe. Um, and it's, it's a big mystery. Uh, 
when you were when you learned about gravity in school, when they taught you about gravity in school, they didn't teach you about gravity. Nobody got taught about gravity in school. Everybody got taught about gravitational effect in school. Well, you got taught all about how what gravity does. You were taught nothing about what gravity is. It's like economics and money. They'll tell you all about what money does and what it, but they can't tell you what it is. Yeah, in a sense, it's like one of the things that I'll ask people when I'm talking about, you know, modern economics. I'll ask them, uh, you know, give me the definition of wealth. Now it's funny. I'm old enough to actually have been taught this in school. They don't teach this kind of stuff to people anymore. What is wealth? And then all the answers I get have to do with measures of wealth. They talk about money. They talk about how much money you might have, buying power, this and that. And it's all expressions of measurements of wealth. So then I ask them to get them to think about it. I ask them, okay, if I asked you what is gasoline, would you tell me about how big of the gas tank you have in your car? How many gallons it holds? No, you would be talking to me about hexane molecules and and this kind of thing. So what is wealth? Uh, And the book definition is natural resources developed by human agency. That is the definition of wealth. <clears throat> so, for example, you could you could have uh, you know uh, five hundred pounds of gold buried twenty feet under your house. It's worthless until you dig it up and refine it. Now you have wealth. Real estate is wealth. Services are not wealth. And dollar bills are the measure of wealth. And, of course, when you see that capstone, when you find that capstone that they hide in today's schools, you understand that the problem with our world today economically is there simply just isn't enough wealth to go around. Period. Everything else, every other symptom, every other block, two million blocks in the pyramid, uh are behaving the way they are because of that one simple childlike elementary principle. There simply isn't enough substance in the world to go around. Um, So, yes, it it is something like that. So here we go. Uh, They tell us that gravity is a force, okay? Well, according to physics, a force, is something that is conveyed by a particle that propagates as a wave. Well, that's fine with electromagnetism. We have an electron. We've identified the particle. We have an electromagnetic field. We've identified the wave. We know about the bosons that on the subatomic level convey the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. And we know how they propagate as a field. But decades of research has failed to find a graviton. It's as if the graviton doesn't even exist. And so consequently, here's where we run into so many problems with gravity. Um, We don't have a particle. We've never been able to detect one. We don't have a wave. 
We've never been able to detect a physical gravity wave. So here we have this effect. You know, if we're going to go by the book, we can't even call it a force. It's an effect that is observable, that interacts with its surroundings, but has no direct physical cause linked to it. So when we take a look at it this way, the reality that they don't teach you in school, I guess because, you know, they think civilization will begin to decompose, um, you know, to disintegrate. Here we have the moon traveling around the Earth, and gravitational effect keeps it in orbit. But the reality of it is there's nothing physical that's connecting the Earth to the moon. There is no tether. There is no particle or wave that is exerting its influence on the moon, touching it physically to hold it in space. It's just floating out there. Um, and it's what I call a paranormal phenomenon. Um, when you look at it from that concept, then any physical effect that has no direct physically connected cause is by definition paranormal or supernatural. And what's important about gravity is it is the stumbling block for everything in physics. We cannot begin to even conceive how a universal order could assemble matter into coherent, lasting structures without understanding the source of gravity. We cannot reconcile quantum physics with relativity because we keep stumbling on gravity. Gravity is the thing that stops us from reconciling those things. When Einstein started to, uh, or worked on his unified field theory, where most of, many of his ideas of relativity came from this concept that he was never able to prove that at the beginning of the universe everything was a single field that divided and broke up and differentiated as it expanded. The thing he couldn't do was express gravity successfully in a mathematical form through four dimensions. Now we take a look at the standard model, capital S, capital M, of the physical universe that physics uses to describe the particles and their interactions. Um, and what most lay people are shocked to find is that even if this particle they discovered happens to prove to be a Higgs boson, because we really still don't know what kind of boson we found, and we plug that into the missing hole of the standard model, there is still no expression for gravity in the standard model. Most people don't know that. So the Higgs boson is supposed to complete the standard model, and yet there's still no expression for gravity. So understanding the substance of gravity is going to be the key to unlocking the secrets of the universe. Now, when we combine that with the idea of materialized information, then it begins to form what I call my theory of supergeometrics. And we'd like to hear just a little bit more about that theory but uh, time time that we have our first break we're a little past the half hour but that's why we would like to play with the flexibility so we can get good points out what do you think Jane? Absolutely yes quick break and then when we come back we um, 
can hear a little more of an expanded version expanded version on that theory. Yeah. All right, so we're going to have a little word from some of our, the folks that help keep us going and then uh from Elijah Ray and the Band of Light, we'll have uh I love being here. It's a cool song. Anyway, we'll uh be right back in about uh 5 minutes. Stay with us, folks. And now, a word from our sponsors. All things are ruled and shaped by patterns. Every moment is filled with symbolism and synchronicity. Understanding the symbols that shape our lives can provide us with guidance and a greater sense of freedom as we gain the ability to navigate the subconscious. Mama Webb draws on 16 years of research into world mythology, theology, symbols, tarot, archetypes, and natural healing, combining that knowledge with intuition, personal experiences, and witnessing journeying, supporting over 700-plus clients on their paths to peace. Mama Webb is able to provide unique insight into the forces that guide our lives and shape our worldviews. You can find Mama at mamaweb.com or call 1-855-WEBB. The life of a creator can be challenging without the support of a loving family. When your inner child calls, will you have the courage to answer? If you're looking for a safe place to play in the artistic energy of life, a place where you can be embraced for all the beauty that you naturally hold within, then the inner child family is the perfect place for you. A safe haven for artists, poets, and musicians, this uniquely accepting group of individuals is waiting to welcome you with open arms. Be it support that you seek, publishing assistance, or just a fun, friendly place to hang your virtual hat, you've found a second home in Inner Child. Go home to IamInnerChild.com. Are you looking for answers, clarity, and relief? Are you seeking resolution to the issues in your life that are leaving you feeling confused, upset, and out of control? Are you experiencing the same situation over and over again? Are you ready to move forward and let go of what no longer works? Or is your mission to bridge the gap between human and animal, allowing for the relationship between you and your companion to deepen and flourish? With the help of the gentle guiding hand of Akashic visionary and animal communicator Inez Martin, you can find the answers that you are looking for. Open your heart to the possibilities by visiting Inez at VisionaryLifeConsultant.com. And now for some irregularly scheduled music.
That was our friend Elijah Ray and the Band of Light. I uh, put the link up there in the uh, chat room, and of course, it'll, as always, it'll be on our uh, uh, the archive of the show that'll be up shortly afterwards. So, Thomas, tell yeah. us a little more about your theory, because I uh, I was both in honors physics and in the philosophy club, so I I kind of have a couple of ideas that I have my brain around about. But as you said, there's never really been a good putting them together. Um, And I've always thought science was odd to just dismiss certain things, certain phenomena, and just say, oh, well, that's that's, that's paranormal. We don't don't explain that. Well, yeah, if you're really the science of everything, you've got to explain it. Or somehow make a allowance for it, seems. Well, when you're an organized discipline uh, that requires a, a special degree of education to even be a member, you get to dictate what that discipline is uh, and what it should be, and the public follows, uh, you know, as in the American Medical Association. <laughs> so physics is the same way. Uh, but I agree with you that... Uh, um, everything that is physical, which is every uh, physical effect that is observable, because if it wasn't observable, it what, was, isn't physical. It couldn't be physical. Every physical observable effect is is falls under the field of physics, technically, because physics is the study of everything physical. Uh, and yes, when you're in control of a discipline, you're able to determine what it is that you wish to study and what it is that you don't. Um, But here's where my model is very different than what conventional, uh, the conventional viewpoint is. And after thinking about it very, very carefully, uh, studying the master of all of this when it comes to gravity and uh, the way the universe is configured, which is Albert Einstein. Uh, and then comparing that to all of the anomalies that we have concerning gravity and all the things that we don't know about it, it occurred to me that we've been looking at gravity backward. And I'll explain to you what I mean with this kind of an example. Uh, I say, imagine that you're a primitive person, let's say 50,000 years ago. You're a modern human being. You're a homo sapiens with a homo sapiens brain. But you have no concept at all what we today would call science or even natural law. All you know is what you've learned from your experience uh, uh, in the environment and what was handed down uh, to you from uh, people before. And you walk out into an open field, perhaps like you've done so many different times, and you feel the breeze against your face. But this time a question answers, uh, uh, enters your mind. Is the wind pushed or pulled along? Does the wind blow or does the wind suck? Well, everything, every ounce of our uh, conventional thinking indicates to us that the wind blows. Uh, It appears to be that way. We can puff up our lungs and blow out a breath that imitates air or, or the wind. We can swish our hand through the air and push on it and make an artificial wind. So every single thing tells us that the wind blows. Um, 
This is like every single thing in physics, especially from the 1800s, told them, told the physicists, that because gravity appeared to behave like the attractive force of electromagnetism, that it must be a force that behaves similar to electromagnetism. It has to be a magnetic or an attractive force. But here's the thing with the wind. The predominant mechanism that controls the wind is the movement of air molecules from an area of high pressure to an adjacent area of lower pressure. Scientifically speaking, it's incorrect to say that a volume pushes itself into a vacuum. Uh, it is. It is the only accurate way to say that is that a vo- that a that a vacuum draws volumes within itself into itself. Therefore, the truth of the matter is, is that the wind is pulled along. The wind sucks. The wind doesn't blow. So everything that we can perceive about our conventional thinking and our conventional reasoning about the wind is wrong. Now. What we would know about the air locally would still be the same. We'd still be able to dry laundry on a line. We'd still be able to fly kites. We'd still see the leaves blow about in the wind, you know, uh, in in the autumn. We could even design aircraft with the same kind of aerodynamics and have them work correctly. But the conclusion that we could draw about the universe or, or the world at large, the meteorological system, of the world at large would be very different for one model than it would be for the other. So let's take a look at gravity now. What if gravity is not an attractive force? What if gravity is something like some sort of an influence that points inward, drives inward to the center of material structures, or what Einstein called physical content, on the face of the spatial field. What if these are they're pointing inward? What if gravity is like a like a wind that blows smaller objects onto larger ones and holds them down? If you think about the um, if you think everybody's got a dryer in their house has a vent and it's got a filter and you know all the lint starts accumulating on the filter Imagine the air blowing through that vent being the force of gravity and the screen with the lint collected on it being the surface of the earth. Everything that we would know about the behavior of gravity, gravitational effect, would be identical. But the picture that we could draw about the fundamental way that the universe is put together would be very different for one than than it is for the other. If Einstein proved to us that gravity um, is present at the bending of space, that space actually bends around all different objects. Um, He proved that in the famous experiment that they conducted based on his theory, photographing the eclipse, the solar eclipse. He predicted that the starlight visible around the solar eclipse would be deflected 1.75 degrees by the bending of space wrapped around the sun, and they mathematically demonstrated this. They proved his theory through that. Um, What if the very folds of space um, result in this kind of a pushing force? 
That would mean that we would not need a graviton. The reason why the standard model has no particle for gravity is because it doesn't need one. That there is no such thing as a graviton. It doesn't exist. Um, this would also relate to some of the things that they speculate with dark matter, which is a hypothetical substance for which we don't have a stitch of evidence that it exists. The only evidence we have are effects that we observe that if we're going to adhere to a materialistic paradigm, tells that that we believe, not that we know, that we believe that there must be a material cause for the bending of space where there's no visible mass adjacent to it. And so we make up this substance called dark matter. So what if the bends of space are not the result of mass. What if we accept the evidence that we found in recent decades when we look out into the universe, where we find 90% more bending of space and gravitational effect than we do visible mass? What if it's exactly what it looks like? That we have gravity and the bending of space with no mass to account for it. What that would tell us is this. It's just like the wind being in reverse, that it sucks instead of blows. It would mean that the bending of space is the causal element. And the matter, or what Einstein called the physical content of the universe, is the effect. In other words, it's not mass that bends the space and generates gravity. It's the bending of space that generates gravity and also condenses mass. The bending of, bending of space causes the gravity, which sort of makes the stuff clump together. Mm-hmm. What if it works that way? Now, here's the funny thing. That all the effects that we've been able to observe in recent decades, the anomalies that we see, like all this extra gravity with no explanation would be completely consistent with this model of gravity being the result of the bending of space, which in turn is the cause of material. That model would be consistent with all these observations and would also explain why the materialists and their solutions to these anomalies by making up these exotic fields and these hypothetical exotic particles and these heavier twins of supersymmetry, why we never, ever, ever find a single one of them. We can't find any of these hypothetical exotic materials. So the model that I'm talking about would not only explain every single effect that these exotic theories do, but it would also explain why we can't find any of these exotic materials. They don't exist. Because there aren't any of them. They don't need to exist. Yes, the only reason why they need to exist is to be consistent with a philosophical paradigm that demands 
that every physical effect in the universe must also have a physical cause contained within the same universe. See, the predominant philosophy of physics is that the universe is self-determining, self-expressing, and self-explaining. Now, if that model is true, there is no such thing as spiritual. There is no spiritual realm because everything is has a physical cause contained in the same universe. Of course, the problem with that is it's paradoxical. It, it can't answer the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Uh, because really that's the question it, you know, it, it, it brings forth. Um, it's a very big paradox. But if we accept the idea that there is a body of information, a super-dimensional realm that you could look at like an overlay, that sits on top of the physical universe and materializes into the physical universe as it decelerates to the speed of light. That starts to make a lot of things fall into place. And it also starts tying in not only these mysteries of physics, but you start, you're beginning to be able to understand things like paranormal phenomena, haunted houses, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, even as far as religious concepts like good and evil begin to gel together and fall into this same picture. <clears throat> um, one of the aspects of this theory is that it gives good explanations for paranormal phenomena, like what goes on in a haunted house. And the theory makes a number of predictions about what would take place if a bubble of space-time expanded inside of a haunted house, or inside of any house, for example, and that that was being caused by an influence that was not contained within the local environment. In other words, it literally begins to appear out of the quote-unquote nowhere because the cause for it, it is, isn't local in the same environment as the effect is emerging. Um, this relates very much to um, uh, work by a man named Theodore Calusa. You might be familiar with his name, Rick, if you were in a physics club. Well, I was in, I was in a phys advanced physics class. I was in the philosophy club. Uh, it came a little bit later. The physics class was pretty stiff, but... Uh, tell us about it. Okay. Remember I mentioned earlier about Einstein was never able to balance his unified field theory equations because he couldn't express gravity mathematically through all four dimensions. And no one has actually ever been able to resolve that within a material model, which means to be only using coordinates and, you know, related math, that is confined by the depth, you know, by the boundaries of space and time. Theodore Calusa was a Calusa was a mathematician, theoretical physicist, contemporary with Einstein, and was actually helping Einstein work on this equation. He was one of the physicists that were, you know, working independently with the material that Einstein gave him. 
you know, to see if he could work something out. One day he came up with an idea. He said, let's pick a coordinate, a fifth coordinate. We don't know what it is. We know that it's not contained within our physical space-time. Let's put it outside of space and time. It's something beyond height, width, depth, and time. But let's give it a, assign it a mathematical value, and let's put it in the equation and see what we do. And so he did that, worked Einstein's equations. At the very end, in order to be left over with just the physical universe and nothing else, he subtracted out the uh, superphysical uh, fifth coordinate, and boom, he's first human being that ever balanced Einstein's equations using a coordinate that didn't exist in the material universe. Um, Calusa, later in his career, came to the conclusion that gravity must be non-local. In other words, that it's an effect with no direct local physically connected cause to it. That makes it sound very much like the one it out. Right. Um, so what if that happened in the haunted house? Let's say, let's look at the fabric of space as like an inner tube, like a rubber inner tube. Einstein was very fond of using rubber sheets to conceptually model the fabric of space. Got music playing in the background or something? Or are we... Well, uh, I'm, truck, I'm hearing music playing. Are trucks we on, or explosions. Could be trucks. I have an open window. <laughs> All right. I thought I was talking through a break and, uh, again. Tom, shut up. They're trying to take a break. Come on. No, no, not at all. Trying no, no. to pay the bills. Um, okay, let's say a bubble expands. Let's say uh, liken it to a rubber, old rubber inner tube, the fabric of space, and it's got a weak spot, so when you fill it with air, a bubble forms out of it. Now, the first thing this would do, because it's happening in the presence of physical content, Rick, it's not happening out in the vacuum of the cosmos. We know that the region of space around this bubble would be crushed and compressed. Einstein proved that to us. It's an area of density within the continuous spatial field, within the space-time continuum. But in a haunted house, that that compressed space would be occupied by atoms, by molecules, by the air. And, of course, those atoms all have electrons. Now, when you crush electrons like that, if you're actually manipulating the space in which they occupy, they're going to get excited, those electrons. They start jumping into their higher orbits. So the first thing this model would predict is the emergence out of apparently thin air of an electromagnetic field. This is exactly what we see and measure at the sites of hauntings. Right. Uh, <clears throat> now, in the world of the electron, as you know, what goes up must come down. So when you jack these electrons up and they expend their excitement, they start dropping back down. One of the things that they can emit is a photon, particle of light, different type of electromagnetic radiation. Right. And we exploit that quantum physical phenomenon all the time in our modern world, we pass an electromagnetic field through a physical uh, content. It excites the electrons. The electrons emit photons as they drop back down. That's how an LED works. It's a light-emitting diode. Right. So if we have, at the proper conditions, 
when these electrons fall back down and start emitting photons, here we have a spherical region of space. Now, follow me visually. Surrounded by an electromagnetic field and emitting photons. To a paranormal investigator, what did I just describe? A ghost, an apparition. A luminous orb. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a perfect physical model of a luminous orb. Now, another thing that this could, uh, uh, that electrons do, and in fact all electromagnetism or magnetic fields emit heat. Um, but heat energy is also something electrons can release when they fall back into their lower orbits. <clears throat> In recent decades, investigators have been bringing these thermal imaging cameras and have been taking uh, some very, very interesting shots, some so detailed you could call them a, a thermal apparition. But there's something very strange about the images that they take that differentiate themselves from the contrasts of thermal signatures that we see when we take images of living people, where we see contrasts within like the cheeks as opposed to the tips of the nose and the ears, clothing. Uh, when we look at a paranormal thermal image, the thermal signature is more or less uniform across the entire image. Now that means two things. It would be a mechanism that is happening the same. The heat generating mechanism is identical across the entire surface. It's not something that's happening at the core. And that it is at the surface. It's the same mechanism across the whole figure happening at the surface, at the interface between itself and the surrounding environment. So this would be the looking, examining these apparitions or these images that they get on thermal cameras this model predicts exactly what those images would look like in terms of the uniformity of their heat signature. Now, when this kind of a bubble expands within the, within the presence of physical content, what it's going to do is create a temporary vacuum in the middle of it. If it happens slow enough, the laws of equilibrium will allow the adjacent uh, physical content and the thermal energy that it's holding to flow into it, almost like water seeking its own level. But if it happens quickly, it would be like throwing your front door open on a cold winter's day. You would have a temporary vacuum where you would reg register, number one, a cold spot. Number two, a variation in barometric pressure. And number three, under the right conditions, because you have a lower bar barometric pressure within the bubble than is outside, you would get a movement of air from the area of high pressure to the low pressure, and that would create the mystery breezes that people feel. So I've just described six different observable paranormal events that on the surface seem completely unrelated, all with a single model. And this uh, you know, air rapidly moving from an area of high pressure to low pressure, it gets cold, makes a cold spot. That would contribute to it, yes. But the very absence of physical content within that expanding bubble, the temporary absence of it, because we know thermal energy is not simply held in space. No, no, it's, it would require particles. So that would also be cold. Right. So since we have an absence of particles in the center of it, we're also going to have an absence of associated thermal energy until it reaches an equilibrium. 
It's just like if you left your front door open on a cold winter day, after a few hours, the temperature inside would be the same as the temperature outside, but it would take some time to equalize. Um, <clears throat> so here's another thing, uh, another uh, uh, symptom, so to speak, that is reported constantly at the sites of hauntings is that on the onset of a paranormal event, people complain about feeling a feeling of heaviness. Um, you hear so many people talk about it, and they all use the same word. It's not a subjective experience like ten different people give you five different ways to express it. It's all a feeling of heaviness. Well, the bending of space produces a gravitational field. In addition to and above the gravitational field of the Earth itself, and therefore, it would produce what people are reporting as a feeling of heaviness. Now, that's number seven. Um, does seem to does seem to tie them all together. Um, it's just about time that we take uh, one more short break, and um, then when we come back, we want to be sure we get in all the places that folks can find you on the web and uh, uh, and your book. And um, what do you think, Jane? What should we listen to? Your favorite oh, song? Oh, well, I don't know. Little Earth Prayer is always good for the soul. Yes, it is. Not uh, that I'll be able to actually hear it this evening, because I seem to be having all sorts of uh, problems over here with regards to my sound. So that's why I'm yeah, folks, so quiet tonight. Jane's sound is not listenable over there and I can't hear half the conversation <laughs> if you heard a lot of Skype beeps there for a while it was her desperately trying to flag me down thinking that everybody was having a bad sound experience but Janet says we sound okay and you sound perfect to me anyway well I'm glad I sound great um, yeah I'm, I'm still getting crazy crazy wonky almost alien like um, vocals over here during some of the conversations, you don't have so your you don't have your alien universal translator turned on. I, I guess my universal translator is not working properly so, today, um, but that's that's why I'm not chiming in too much tonight because I'm missing half of what's going on, and I'll have to go back and listen to it so I can write a blog about it later. <laughs> oh yeah, well you do that anyway, so it'll be good. And uh, and we do have a couple of Janet's questions that maybe we can sneak in when we get back too. We'll see how we're doing on time. Sure. Uh, but uh, so here's some uh, involvement with Earth Prayer. <laughs> we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Everybody has a story, a moment in their life that was a turning point that set them upon a path of self-discovery and adventure. Here at Everyday Connection, we value the sharing of those moments, recognizing them to be the inspiring and uplifting gifts that they truly are. We would like to show our appreciation, not just to our guests and sponsors, but to our listeners and supporters who make it possible for us to share those stories. If you would like to support the continued success of Everyday Connection, share your own story, or know somebody whose story can touch the hearts of others, drop by everydayconnection.me and find out how you can become a part of our ever-expanding EC family.
That was our dear friend, Nina B., who's been with us before and hopefully will be with us again soon. Um, we've pretty much lost Jean. Um, she's on, got herself on mute because there's noise there and she can't hear anyway. And now she's locked out of the chat room and, oh boy, we're having fun with our tech. We blow up electricity a lot. We're, we're on the third uh, high-speed modem and and actual physical wires between her house and the telephone system. Uh, they've replaced both. Uh, we're on the third set, so we do that sometimes. We must have spheres coming in and blowing up things in there. It 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 does strike me though that it it is a theory that would explain those things, that would explain or could explain virtually all of those. Now, Janet had a question. She had several that I thought were all great questions, but now she says, just the last one, please. So um, she has seen, and I have seen as well, uh, articles that talk about uh, human bodies dropping by a few grams uh, at the moment of death and wants to know what you think about that or how that might fit. Well, the idea that um, everything that is physical in the universe is an expression of materialized information that is occurring from outside of the universe uh, also implies with it, based on the evidence that we have, that it could be a two-way street, so to speak. So, for example, if something can materialize, something can also dematerialize. Um, and you're right that the release of energy alone should not be sufficient, the dispersion, I should say, of an, a coherent energy field being conducted through the neurological system of the body right should be insufficient to account for that much weight but that something else may be leaving the body or dematerializing that would account for the loss of weight um People often uh, say the term spirit energy. Uh, according to my model, those are two very different things. Spirit is something that's super physical, and energy is something that's physical. And the idea of spirit energy releasing the body and hanging around the, you know, the physical plane is another materialistic paradigm. In other words, it tries to shoehorn every aspect of that into a physical realm. Right. So to me, the term spirit energy is almost like saying honest politician. It's a conflict in terms. Right. According to my model, the materialization of spiritual elements and spiritual entities, if you will, create an environment that generates energy. And so the energy is actually an effect, whereas what would the, the manifestations of the spirit 
or of spirits may are are a cause if you follow what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Uh, almost like the like the 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 field consciousness and consciousness gives rise to information which then collects around it stuff. Exactly. Uh, you know, if you take a look at remote viewing. Now we know that the material equivalent, let's say the materialized body, quote-unquote, of thought, are the electrochemical patterns within the human brain. So if you think about remote viewing or many other kinds of parapsychological phenomena where a coherent collection of information that clearly is not coming to us through any physical conduit, or any physical medium. It's not being broadcast to us electromagnetically. It's not being broadcast to us optically. It just comes from outside the physical realm, so to speak. Into our consciousness, the second that information enters into that arena of the human brain, the electrochemical constituents or the counterparts to that information instantly materialize in the brain and the thought is there physically it's exactly what happens in a haunted house it's exactly what happens when neutrons seem to decay and disappear out of our realm and then come back into them they've observed this happening yeah stuff neutrons sort of popping in and out yeah now they've in the material paradigm they proposed an exotic particle, which is a heavier twin that it's supposed to be passing in and out of to keep it all in a material paradigm. It's unfortunate that these heavy twins, these supersymmetrical particles, was one of the first things that they were going to discover at the Large Hadron Collider, and they haven't found a trace of supersymmetry there. Not a thing. No, not, which is one not of going the problems to. with the Higgs boson. <laughs> In other words, they were already supposed to have found an answer before they found the Higgs. And this is why the physicists are saying that we have a boson, but they're stopping short of saying it actually is a boson that actually behaves in a way that matches Peter Higgs' proposed description of it. Yeah, well, and I I tend to agree with uh, a comment that... Uh, I saw an interview that they had with uh, Stephen Hawking, where he said, "You know, it's a bit of a dis- it's a bit of a disappointment because the real advances in science have all come when the results are not what you expect." Yes. And then you have to set about again to explain because things are different than you thought. It is proposed that of all the observable phenomena that we currently have in the universe. The standard model, capital S, capital M, probably explains no more than 6% of it. And if we can't find anything beyond, even if this particle proves to be the Higgs boson and fills that one missing block that is in the standard model and completes the standard model, we only have 6% of the universe explained. It's a very disenchanting prospect. Yes. Certainly would be hard to call 6% a theory of everything. Exactly. Um, Not to draw us right back around to that 
theory of everything, but it's always bothered me. You know, they oh that's that's paranormal. That's that's hoo ha. We're not going to talk about that. Um, no, it's supposed to be a theory of everything, and uh, and this one this one ties up a lot of loose ends. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, taking a look at the uh, at the book. There I go again. What what? I don't know what I did. Anyway, we're getting right close to our uh, to our half hour here. I want to first thank you for uh, spending some time with us this evening and uh, illuminating a uh, a subject that confuses a lot of people because it's it, it's often not put clearly that they like to skip around the bits they don't understand quite. I understand. Uh, it's a challenge to try yep. to these in the ways that uh, are easy to convey, you know. Folks can find you at uh, CosmicVail.com. Yep. CosmicVail, spelled V-E-I-L, dot com. Right. Yeah, it's not the not that cosmic out place in Colorado. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> Although there's some real cosmic dudes there. Um you're talking about a SETI, right? Uh, so, uh, and they can find links on your on your site, thecosmicveil.com, uh, where they can buy the book direct from your publisher so they can save a little money? That's correct, yes. It's available you, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but going through the website, you get the best deal right now that's on the Internet. Good, Good thing. Best deal for everybody around. We like that. Well, again... Thank you for spending your time with us this evening. Uh, I'm going to wade through the book, and then we may have to have you back on again. Sounds like fun. I'll be here. All right. So, uh, calendar. Somebody has a calendar. What happened to the calendar? I don't have one. My computer's frozen again. That's. I have to. <laughs> I, if I say it that many times, about about four times, of close the calendar. That's long enough to pull it up. So. Um, that's, calendar, 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 calendar. Yeah, that's. It's like I'm wishing for it, clicking my heels together. But no ruby slippers, please. Uh, house shoes, better. Uh, Tuesday we have Inez Martins going to be back with us, animal communicator and Akashic record reader extraordinaire. Uh, we'll be taking your questions, and then on Thursday we have Santosh Badari is going to be with us from Nepal uh, to talk about peace for people that uh, he's involved with over there. So more of those global guests. We like that. Yes, we do. Guests from all around. All right. want to thank uh, Janet and everybody in the chat room and everybody listening. Join us Tuesday. Have a great weekend. And uh, till then. Stay connected. Night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection.
ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. 